Opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So, Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about listening. And we've talked before on this show about how really important it is to listen to each other to be able to resolve conflict. And I have just been reading this wonderful book called 7,000 Ways to Listen, Staying Close to What is Sacred by Mark Nepo. And he is the author of this book and another book called The Book of Awakening. And he also has another new book dealing with um, poetry that is we'll talk about in a few minutes. Let me tell you a little bit about Mark Mark has taught in the fields of poetry and spirituality for over 35 years. His books include the New York Times bestseller, The Book of Awakening, which was chosen as one of Oprah's ultimate favorite things in 2010. And by the way, he is actually going to be on two segments of Oprah coming up in October on her new channel. So we can ask him about that, but that's pretty exciting. Um, Also, he is a cancer survivor. Mark devotes his writing and teaching to the journey of inner transformation and the life of relationship. He has done great work in the field of spirituality and in listening, which I I just love this book. And you could find out more about him at Mark Nepo, that's M-A-R-K Nepo, N-E-P-O dot com and 3intentions.com. Thank you, Mark, so much for joining us today. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thank you. So tell me, I love this book, 7,000 Ways to Listen. In fact, we had a whole series at our church on your book, so I just need you to know how much everybody that I've talked to just loves this book. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So what inspired you to write this book? Well, I think, you know, most, most authors and artists, I think, whether, whether we admit it or not, we, we write and create what we need to learn. It's not like I had some wisdom uh, ready to share, um, but, you know, we all find our teachers. And so as I listen to what life is bringing me, it was clear to me, you know, some of my other books are, as you said, the Book of Awakening. I have a book about inner courage. And so, you know, 
I needed, as I look back, at the time I wrote the Awakening book, I needed to find ways to be more awake in my own life. And, and then, regardless of whether other people thought I was courageous or not, I felt I was at my edge, and I needed to learn more. And I learned by this relationship with the unknown, this relationship with expression. Well, you know, after all of that, if we are blessed to be awake and we find moments of courage to stand in our lives and to be with uh, honestly and authentically with others, well, then we're brought right back to what we have to do is listen. Yes, and I thought what was fascinating and, and really the synchronicity of life is that you, when you were writing this book, you started to have your hearing problems, correct? Yes, yes. You know, I had, um, as you mentioned, I'm a long-term cancer survivor. It's going on 26 years, and it feels like yesterday and a lifetime ago. And, you know, and part of that was that the chemo I had, which 25 years ago, was very aggressive, and I didn't know it, but it slowly was damaging my hearing. Hmm. And I think a lot of people in my situation didn't have it, lived this long, and so nobody really paid a lot of attention to that. Hmm. But he, here I am, and people like me, and, and it turns out that, you know, the cilia, the hairs that convey frequency in your inner ear, are attacked by the chemo. And so... I was exploring, this is amazing about intuition, I was exploring the many ways to listen, to be present to life um, with, your, with our open heart, our being, our mind, our spirit, not realizing that my physical hearing was breaking down more and more. Mm. And you know how all the metaphysical aspects of, of life that, you know, we, when we experience something like that, like a lack of hearing, we focus on that. And when we focus on that, it just opens up so many more doors. Well, it's just, you know, what's amazing, and, and, and the way that, you know, I, the way that I came to actually the title of the, of the book is a quick story, is that I was having lunch with a linguist from Nigeria who was so excited about the, that there were at least 7,000 living languages on Earth, ah. most of them oral, and that they actually grow like trees and plants. They don't stand still. They move toward the light and toward the living. And so I went home that night, and, and in a very obvious kind of <clears throat> profound simplicity, <laughs> as it was very quiet at night, and my wife, Susan, and our dog, Mira, were, we were all in bed, and, and it was very quiet. It occurred to me that if there are at least 7,000 ways to speak, there have to be at least 7,000 ways to listen. And so it became a metaphor that was a, a doorway. I mean, I, there aren't actually in the book 7,000 ways, but it's a metaphor for, for all the different ways we are asked to be completely present to the life we're given. And, and I think the reason for that is not only do we know ourselves and live our own lives more fully in terms of authenticity, not only does that lead to more integral relationships, but it's listening that allows us to experience our part in the living universe. It's the mm. way that we experience wholeness. Yes. And you have this wonderful quote, and you, you actually have a chapter called Deep Listening. And I love this quote. It says, Deep listening is more than hearing with our ears 
but taking in what is revealed in any given moment with our body, our being, and our heart. And that was by Susan McHenry. And that one, that one quote just really resonated with me because as a mediator in my profession, that is one of the most important skills that I must have and develop. It's, it's, it's really listening, not just to the words, but listening to the feelings, listening to the body language, listening to the tone of the voice, listening to the, to the cry. And it is, um, it is something that we have to work on every day to really listen. It's, it's not just hearing. Yeah, I, I, you know, I so agree with you, and I, and I think one of the paradoxes, and paradox is a great teacher for me, and always has, has been, and that's this notion simply that more than one thing is true at the same time. And one of the paradoxes about the kind of listening we're talking about is that I have to bring all of who I am in order to truly receive all that I am not. To receive everything that's beyond, that's larger than me, that's not me, I need to bring an open heart and an open mind. So I think one of the things we're constantly asked in listening is, you know, our, let me back up for one second. So we have this amazing gift, this consciousness, this mind. You know, and we don't know, we can't, we can't speak other creature language, but as far as we can tell, we have a pretty unique gift in this. As, as human creatures. Mm-hmm. But one of, one of the shadows, one of the, the downsides, one of the accumulated problems of consciousness and mind is that we do understand, we do gather insight, we learn, and then those things start to calcify into judgments and assumptions and conclusions. Yes. And that starts to form a grid or a screen between us and life itself. And so we're constantly, in order to listen, asked to put down, not all that we learned, but to put down our conclusions and our assumptions so that even if I've known you for years and I know what you're about to say, I receive you freshly. receive you freshly and not in reference completely to me but hearing you as you, as you, and only you. Yeah, that is so beautiful. You know, when I'm uh, teaching classes on negotiation and mediation, it just, you know, we always use that word assume, (laughs) and we care about it, because if you assume, you know, you make an ass of you and me, A-S-S-U and me, and we always laugh about it, but people will say, well, I just assumed that you meant this, and so that's one of the things that, as the neutral in a mediation, when there's parties around the table, and I see that someone's assuming, I'll ask people, check out that assumption. You know, that's maybe the history from before, but why don't you ask, gee, you know, I've assumed this. Help me understand, am I correct? You know, am I correct? Yeah, well, and I think the questions are so in all of our relationships to ourselves, each other, life, God, whatever name you want to give to that force larger than us. You know, and, and, and I really feel that, that it, it offers us a chance to, 
Well, to, again, to, to open our heart completely and to be fully, fully present. And we can't do that all the time because we're human. But this opens up another form of listening that I like to talk about as the practice of return. Mm. That being human, I aspire to be open-hearted. I aspire to listen. I aspire to be awake. But being human, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, how many times a day do we blink? We inhale and we exhale. Mm-hmm. We're clear and we're confused. We're awake and then we're numb. And so we will fall off course by the nature of being a spirit in a body in time on earth. And so every person is challenged to develop their own personal practice of return. When I do fall off, how do I get back? You know, And that requires another kind of listening. Yes, the inside. You know, as I've been reading your book, and yesterday I had a day that was was challenging because uh, I wasn't feeling very well. I had like a little virus, and I was doing a conference call, and one of the parties was really being quite um, difficult, okay, (laughs) and unfair to the other party. And, of course, then I'm the neutral. I'm trying to keep on an even keel. But I really found myself being quite judgmental. I really did. You know, I I wasn't, like you said, I was human. I wasn't feeling well, and I found myself doing it. And then, of course, last night when I was debriefing in my own head, I was beating myself up, you know. You know better. Why were you doing that? (laughs) So I started to ask myself questions, you know. What do I need to do now? Or how can I be less judgmental? What, what is it? So I was kind of thinking about when you were talking about, you know, being judgmental or being human, and then what do we need to do? What kind of practices do we need to have? One of the things I really love about this book is you've got, for each chapter, you've got, you know, a meditation, you know, for, for a reflective pause. And then you have the journaling questions, and then the table questions to share with other people. Um, so I thought that's really beautiful. Is when we get to the point where we're not perfect because we're not, um, and we are human, um, to forgive ourselves and then to aspire to be better and to ask ourselves those inner questions like, what do I need to do to listen better? Yes, absolutely. You know, and I appreciate your sharing that personal example. You know, and in this, you, and you mentioned the word perfect, and this leads to a very important mislistening in history. And that is, there's a, there's a wonderful book uh, called Prayers for the Cosmos, hmm. which is uh, by Neil Douglas Klotz, who has translated many of the sayings of Jesus from the original Aramaic that it's believed he spoke. Mm. And one of the key, key mistranslations that appeared in the King James Version of the Bible is somewhere, and I can't remember exactly where, but there's a phrase, a proverb, a sentence, where Jesus is, has said, Be thou perfect. Well, that word that was translated into perfect in English when Neil Douglas Klotz went back to what the original Aramaic word was, it actually means wholehearted. Mm. What a difference. Yes. What a difference. Be thou wholehearted. That says that we are not trying to hone 
away our humanness to some pure state. We are asked to inhabit our full humanity, mm. to hear the thousand moods, to accept the way that we fall down and hurt each other and mishear, and then to come back. Yeah. Then to come back without, I mean, one of the things we all do it, it is either deny what we know to be true or over-own what we know to be true, as right. you were suggesting. We beat ourselves up. And you know, either one is a distraction mm. from the precision of listening to, okay, I aimed over here and I fell over there. And what do I have to do to get back? Do I need to redo this? Do I need to approach that person I hurt and make amends? Do I need to redraw my map of the world to get closer to what it means to be alive? All of these are, are bringing ourselves back on course. And, and whatever is universal is very personal when we go to live it. So I or you, we can't tell anybody who's listening how to do this. We can only kind of compare notes Right. <laughs> yes. Which is another wonderful form of listening. We can only compare notes on what it is to be here. Yes, yes. But also, like when we have a beautiful book like your book, The 7,000 Ways to Listen, you know, we can, we can connect with that, like I did. You know, we can connect with, with, okay, you know, all of us are human. We can forgive ourselves. We can go to the next level. We can keep trying and I think that's that's the thing is just am I ever going to get there? I guess when I when I get my angel wings, maybe, <laughs> or in another lifetime or something. But um, yeah, it's 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 forever learning, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that you know one of the things in this tie. Let me tie a couple of things here together that I really learned that were teachers for me in uncovering this book. And you know, one is that I really feel listening is the first step toward peace. Mm. Listening is the first step toward, toward lessening violence. It was Longfellow, the American poet Longfellow, who said, you know, if, I tru- if we truly listened to our enemies' sufferings, we would no longer be enemies. Ah, yes. And so this leads to, you know, that so on the, on the one hand, listening is the first step to realizing that we are all uh, we are all of one human family. And so this raises two other kind of points that are archetypal in everybody's journey. And one is the art of facing things. How do we mm. face what is ours to face? Because if we don't, we inevitably play out what we're struggling with, that inner conflict, on others. So another way to lessen violence in the world is to practice facing what is ours to face. Yes. And the third thing that, that I would offer, which is, all, is really challenging, and I find it challenging, but I, you know, I really try to work with it, and that is no matter how gifted or intelligent or lucky or charmed or blessed we may be, sooner or later every human being will not get what we want. Right. right. And you know I have a chapter in the book about that. Yes. And and this requires a very difficult, uh, strong, grounded sense of listening because this doesn't minimize that what we want may be very dear. You know, we could lose 
a dear loved one or a dream we've worked years for or a job that we care about. So it's not to minimize what we want. And we have to listen to our grief and disappointment and heal. And no matter how legitimate that is, when we don't get what we want, it breaks our self-reference. Yes. And now there's a different part of the spiritual journey that begins because now, in a felt way, we are all asked humbly to accept it's not just about me. That, in fact, we get to discover that we are a part in a living universe. And now, now we get to listen in a whole nother way. We get to start this conversation with life. Okay, what kind of part am I in what kind of whole? W-H-O-L-E. Am I, <laughs> am I a star in the sky? Am I a, a bird in a big infinite tree? Am, am I a, uh, a step on a ladder? What kind of part am I? And that leads to a whole nother conversation of, about experiencing what the individual spirit is to the collective universal sense of spirit. Mm, beautiful. You know, when you were just talking about when we don't get what we want or we have a great loss in our lives, um, and we have to go through that grieving, and that is our, our humanness, and we have to go through that pain, and we go through the depths of our soul. One thing that has kind of shifted in me as I get older, and it really goes to what you're saying, Mark, and that is, as you're talking about that, that breaks you open so you can grow. It also, if you say to yourself, not poor me, look what happened to me, to me, but if you can say to yourself, or at least for me, what I do is I say, it's for me, it's for me, instead of to me. Yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing, and this is another paradox, you know, that our experience of pain and loss and grief is very important. And on the one hand, it's unique, and we need to feel it completely. But as you're saying, not go over the line and feel like, oh, poor me, yeah. you know. Um, and the other side of that is that through that depth, yes. when we can feel it, when I feel grief, I discover the grief that everyone has ever felt. It's like if we can go deep enough, we drink from the same eternal well. Yes. When I feel, this is why, this is how compassion, I believe, is the heart's listening, how compassion deepens in us. You know, everything I've experienced in my life has, that has been difficult, and, and that's been joyous too, both, have led me, have deepened and broadened my compassion. You know, having survived cancer, I can never close my heart to anyone who's in a life-threatening situation. Right. You know, having at one point in my life been overweight, I can never close my heart to anyone who is heavier than they think they should be or want to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're no longer the other. We are, and so this is what listening through to the bottom and it's interesting because, you know, I can only be with my grief or my pain, but somewhere deep enough in there, it touches on the sea of all pain and all grief, and I'm no longer alone. And, and that's the, the beauty, I think, in, in terms of how I relate to what you're saying in, in terms of my life 
on helping people to harmonize their conflict is to see that they are really the one with the other person. They can do that face, you know, face their, their face and face their issues and see that their pain is really also the other person's pain. Maybe a little bit different, but it's still pain. Because yeah. it's always painful to be in conflict or in a dispute. That is a painful situation. It may be a wonderful opportunity for growth and, and change. You know, that conflict has that double-edged sword that it's an opportunity, but it is also dangerous at the same time. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a wonderful, uh, and, and you know you know this in the book, there's a, a chapter called uh, Untangling the Net, and where I refer to the work of John Paul Lederach, who is a leading peace builder uh, today. And and he, like you, works with conflict uh, negotiation and transformation. And, and he did research, it was so fascinating, in Mexico. And he asked people in a fishing village, what words did they use to describe it when they were in a conflict? And they all kind of had conflict about what word it was, but they settled on the predominant word that came up was, in Spanish, enredo, which means the net is tangled. Mm-hmm. And so this is a fishing village, so they, make, they feed their community by what they catch from the deep. And so when they're in a conflict, it's serious because it threatens what feeds the community. But they don't say so much who's to blame. They say the net between us is tangled. And therefore, the first order of business is to untangle the net. Right. And that is so powerful to me. That's such a different way of understanding whether it's conflict in in a marriage or with children or with friends. You know, how different to, to pause and say, wow, um, do you, I think the net between us is tangled. What do you think? Right. It's separating the people from the issues that are all tangled up. Yes. Yeah. So yes. that you don't blame the people. And that's, you know, that's like Bill Urie and Roger Fisher when they talked about getting to, yes, their Bible of negotiation, which was first thing, separate the people from the problem and you can be gentle and soft on the person and hard on the problem. Mm, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. 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 So we don't have a lot of time, but I'd like to just have you address just some steps that we can all take to become better listeners. Sure. You know, I think, and it sounds it's simple, but it's simple and difficult. And I think it is that, that every moment, really, we have the chance to drop what we're carrying, that is what we're carrying in terms of, of weightiness, in terms of entanglement, in terms of our assumptions and conclusions and grudges, and open our heart to whatever moment is before us. Mm. So this, this practice, because we can't do it all the time, but this practice, personal practice, to meet whatever moment we're in in such a way so that our mind is open, our heart is open, and we are vulnerable so that there's nothing between us and the miracle of life. Mm. And that in itself is its own reward, but that allows us to see differently 
when we are in that kind of closeness to what it is to be here, I believe I've experienced I see differently and therefore I make different decisions. Yes, yes. So I think that that's, that's the, you know, and, and, and really trying to listen to each other and ourselves more than once. Yes, I love it. So thank you so much, Mark Nepo, for your beautiful book, 7,000 Ways to Listen, Staying Close to What is Sacred. I love it. This is sacred to my heart. And just give your website, and then it's time for us to go. Oh, well, thank you so much, and thank you for your work. And, um, yeah, the uh, website is marknepo.com, and also a second website is threeintentions, spelled out, dot com. Um, and yeah, and I also I uh, have a uh, a new book of poems that's just being uh, coming out as we as we speak, which is called Reduced to Joy. Yes, and I was reading some of those poems, and I love them. Just oh, thank great. you. Thank you. And you're wonderful. And we will stay in touch and keep up the great work that you're doing. And God bless. Thank you, and God bless you, too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. for Prescriptions for Healing Conflict and visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can see our upcoming guests. You can download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and see what's going on and write us emails, too, about what's of concern to you about healing conflict in the world and your life. Thank you. It's about